0: At Northgate Church. Uh, you can find this on our website and uh, is to is four points as a vision is to receive God's grace to respond in worship to connect in community and then to go out in mission. And so as we think about that I think of a downward arrow for his grace we want to receive God's grace everything in our lives is evidence of his grace but most uh, importantly is his son who he sent down from heaven to earth and we want to receive that grace of Jesus Christ through the good news and um, as we respond to that, we get this upward arrow of worship. So we receive his grace, which we respond with hearts full of gratitude, and we give him our worship, which is hopefully what we have just done, and hopefully what we will continue to do for the rest of this week is give him praise and gratitude of our hearts for all that he has poured into our lives. Then the third point would be community. We want to connect in community with one another, and then we want to go out on mission. The fall festival that we've talked about is a great illustration of how we want to be out on mission. We want us to all have crystal clear in our minds that we want to reach the people that are outside of the walls of this building right now. We have a mission at hand, and that is to make sure everybody knows how much God loves them and forgives them of their sins. And so the fall festival is a step in that direction. And this year of mission is really emphasizing that fourth point in our vision. But this Sunday, as we launch off our fall groups, as the Tuesday night men and women start to meet and the life groups are meeting in homes, I thought, let's pause for a minute and let's talk about that third point of our vision, this community aspect. And let's just spend some time this morning looking at that. And so the question for the morning is how to have fellowship. Now, fellowship is sort of a Christian word. It's, it's often uh, not a word that we think about out in the world. Um, it's used a lot in churches I will say the place that I see fellowship pop up, other than in churches, is on Amazon right now. Um, the new Lord of the Rings series has just dropped, Fellowship of the Ring. All right, so that's a place where you'll hear the word fellowship. Uh, but uh, how to have fellowship? How to have community? How to have fellowship with one another? Now, the simple, the shortest answer to that question is just simply this: join a group. There's a pamphlet in the foyer that highlights all of them. You go on our website; it highlights all of them. There's groups for um, senior saints. There's groups for youth group age. There's uh, a young couples group that just got finished meeting this morning, and so there's a group for everybody. Join a group. That's the short answer. But I'm going to give you the long answer now. The long answer is found in First John chapter one, verses five to seven. Now, when you open your Bibles and you start looking for a book named John, it can get confusing because the first John that's in your Bible isn't 1 John. How about that? The first John that's in your Bible is just regular old the Gospel of John, and if you flipped all the way back to the end of your Bible, you'll find 1 John, 2 John and 3 John. So there's four Johns in your Bible, um, first, second and third and then original. All right, 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 7 gives us the long answer to how to have fellowship. And in these verses, uh, we're going to read them together and see what God is speaking to us this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins." So as we look at these three verses this morning, I want us to notice three words, one in each of these verses. So in verse five, we're going to pay attention to the word heard, and I'm going to ask you the question. So this is what John heard, and he's passing on to you. What have, what have you heard? That's the question, question number one. What have you heard? In verse six, the word is say, and John's telling us what not to say, and I'm going to ask you the question, well, what, have, what are you saying? What do you say? And then in verse 7, it's walk. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, where are you walking? So what have you heard? What do you say? And where are you walking? If we start in verse 5, what message have you heard? So John is writing to us a message that he heard from Jesus. But before we look at the message that John heard from Jesus, let's just pause and ask ourselves the question, what messages have you heard? Because there's a lot of messages floating around about Christianity, about God, and about Jesus, Here's some of the highlights of some of the messages that I've heard. I've heard people say, well, we are all basically good people. And deep down, we're just fundamentally good, and we're trying our best. And so what God is going to do is he's going to look down and see humanity trying their best, and and he's going to work it all out. Everybody's going to be okay because we're all fundamentally good people. I've heard that message. I've heard the message that you just need to believe in yourself. You believe in yourself, the power is within you, and you can find the strength to live this life, and and God will help too. He's an additional source of strength that you can have in your life as well. I've heard people say, the message is this, Christianity is good. It is a pathway to God. God's at the top of the mountain. Christianity is one of the roads that gets you to God. There are other roads on the backside of the mountain that also gets you to God, but Christianity is just one of those paths. I've heard that the message is that God wants you to be happy and healthy. And if you aren't experiencing happiness or health in your life today, it could be that you have a sin in your life that you need to deal with so that you can restore the happiness and the health and the wealth that God intends for your life. I've heard the message that the Bible contains some truth, but it's very, very old. And we have to do our due diligence to keep it up to date with the times and keep it relevant to today. I could keep going like this, because I have heard so many different messages as it relates to God and what he has said for us in our lives. The point is this. There are, you go on the Internet, there's just countless messages. Which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to believe? Which one is true? For all the messages that are out there, how are you going to pick which one you're going to follow? Because there are many. I think what we have in front of us here today is really your best option, and here's why. John is one of the apostles. John is one of the disciples. He has followed Jesus around for three years. He has listened to his teaching, watched him work miracles. He has been one of Jesus' most closest followers. It is John who is at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying, and he says to John, take care of my mother. You won't find a closer confidant to Jesus than the disciple John who is writing these words to us. And so John says, This is the message that we have heard from him. So we're getting this directly from Jesus to John, and he is writing it down, preserved through time for us to read. And now we proclaim it to one another, don't we? That this is the message that John heard from Jesus, that he passes it on to us. When we gather here on Sundays, you do not gather here to hear my message. And I don't gather here to hear your message. We gather here to hear God's message as it has been passed down to us in Scripture. When I sit down to write a sermon for you all on a Sunday, I don't sit down and think like, well, this is the message I would really like to give them. I fundamentally sit down and say, what's the passage for this Sunday? And once I find that the Spirit has led me to the passage for this Sunday, then I take that passage of Scripture, that inspired Word of God, and I try my best to explain it to you and help you to understand it. What we try to do at Northgate Church is resist the temptation to say like, oh, that's what the Word of God says, but that's not, I mean, I have a different opinion about that. I kind of want it to be something else, and and if you remember in those messages that I shared just a few minutes ago, some of them sounded good, right? Some of them sounded like some truth in there. It's because that's what happens. We take a piece of truth from God's word, and then we just kind of twist it to, to fit our opinion, and then all of a sudden you have this message just out there in society, and people are believing it and following, and it sounds really good, but it's off a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you're not actually following what God taught. You're not actually following what He passed on to disciples and was recorded in scripture you're just following the opinion of somebody out there and what I'm encouraging you to do is look at scripture and resist the temptation to change it because we are so enlightened in 2022 with our postmodern thinking and we can understand this better than anybody who's ever lived before us so with that, with that in mind I, I do encourage you to look, look to the word and see what it says And so what it says here for us this morning is he is proclaiming to us, John is, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So you're going to find this metaphor all through scripture. And it's, it's a really a fun one. And one of these days, I'll just latch on to it, and we'll do a whole series. But you can look at light like, scientifically, and you can see all the things that light does scientifically. And then you can take that and sort of apply it to what God does in our lives. You can take it and look at it poetically and metaphorically. You can look at it. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and says, Let there be light, and there's no sun yet created. You can flip to the back pages of your Bible and see that when we're in heaven, it says that we won't even need the sun because God himself will illuminate the whole place. You can go through scripture and see that all through the Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle and it is light. And, and then when Jesus comes, you know what he says in John chapter 9, verse 5? He says, I am the light of the world. So as, as much as I want to go down this road, I'm going to stop and, and try to just see, okay, but what is John trying to communicate to us when he says that God is light. There's so many beautiful uh, implications we could get from that, but what is John trying to guide us to? And I think if we look at verse 6, we see John's logic. Because he says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I think in John's logic it sounds like this. To walk in darkness means you do not practice the truth. So if you reverse that logic, it would sound like this. Walking in light equals practicing truth. Walking in darkness equals not practicing the truth. Walking in light equals practicing the truth. So I think John's point here is, he's saying God is light, and as a metaphor for saying that God is truth. And what the metaphor is doing is saying, like, listen, if you shut out the lights, if you shut your eyes, if you're in, like, absolute darkness, you have no access to truth. You don't know where anything is. You're bumping into things. You're getting yourself hurt. Why? Because fundamentally, you don't know what's true. You don't know what's out there, and you don't know how you should walk. And so God is light. God is truth. He wants to light up our world and show us what is actually true so we don't stumble through this life in the darkness. This is a big deal for us today. I've said it before here, and I've probably said it to many of you just out in life. I think the biggest problem that we have in our society today is we don't know what truth is anymore. It goes into any category of life. Like, I don't know when I go on TV if who's saying which one is true, and then I decide to go and research it online, and then I don't know which one of these people is telling the truth, and then I go and consult with one of you, and and sometimes I don't even know if you understand the truth, and then all of a sudden none of us know what's true anymore we got a culture that says things like this. These are popular phrases. right? Well, that's, this is my truth, and that's your truth. Well, that, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. I'm really, I'm really just pursuing my own truth. And we live in this culture in which we've said that truth is relative. But the, we can't believe that. It's just, it just screams illogical. Our society can't actually sustain that kind of logic. We're all just stumbling through the dark and honestly looking like fools a lot of the time. Does the airplane pilot get to decide which truth is true for him versus which truth is, is not true for him? Is the, is the altitude relative truth? Like, how, Where do we draw the line? Does, does the doctor get to determine absolute truth or, or, or not? Like, Where are we going to draw the lines? Is truth just relative? Rosie, as I, I think I've mentioned this before, that's my 11-year-old daughter, is learning to play the trombone. And um, I don't know how to play the trombone. And so I could go up to her while she's practicing the trombone, and I could say to her, you know what I think you should do? I think you should slide the slide to here instead of to here, and that would make a better sound. I I could say to her, you know what? I think you should do this other thing with your lips instead of what you're doing with your lips. I I could do that. I could give her my opinions on how I think she should play the trombone better but I don't know the truth. I don't know how to play the trombone. So I could humble myself and admit the fact that I don't know what I don't know. And I could seek to learn because there is truth as it relates to how to best play a trombone. And so that's how the illustration works for us. That's how it helps us. It helps us see like, oh yeah, if I don't know the truth, am I just going to come up with my own opinions about what the truth is? Or am I going to humble myself and say, like, well, there actually is like an instruction manual. There actually is truth for my life that I can learn and I can submit myself to and admit that I don't know. Are you going to look to God's Word to help you understand who He is and what His message is? Or are you going to actually read the Bible? And once you start to read the Bible, you'll learn that actually Jesus is the Word. And will you look and try to learn and understand? What Jesus taught and who Jesus was. Are we willing to admit what we don't know and look to the source to flip on the light switch, to believe it's true, as it says in Psalm 119 that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path? I decided a long time ago that I'm going to determine truth by what the word of God says. And what that has done for me is it has just liberated me. It's like living in freedom. Because I look around at my peers and I see them confused and struggling to make a decision about a certain hot topic in the culture. And I can just say, you know, I already made a decision on that. And I've decided that whatever God's word says is true. And so I don't have to struggle with the confusion that you are clearly working through right now. And it's liberating and freeing to have the light on And to be able to walk in the light. Hear this this morning. Hear this. You've heard a lot of things. But hear this. God is light. God is truth. And he wants to light up your path with his truth. Through his word. Through the person of Jesus Christ. God is light. It goes on to say in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. So for this one we ask the question. What do you say? We see here what you shouldn't say. You shouldn't say that you have fellowship with God while you just walk in darkness. But but what do you say? So I hopefully you don't say this. I've heard people say it, and I hope I haven't said it, but I can't remember everything. You've maybe you've heard this line. Do what I say, not what I do. Right? Parenting line that we should really remove from our vocabulary. Do what I say, not what I do. Yeah, but you say that word? No. Do what I say, not what I do. Um, so it's not good parenting. It's hypocritical. None of us like a hypocrite, someone who wants us to just do what they say and not what they do. We, my children, I think, understand that because of where they were born, they will be in many sermon illustrations. They're going to work that, through that with their counselor in their 30s. Um, and it's all recorded now online forever. So uh, I think it's Friday morning. I make them breakfast, my three children, 11-year-old, 9-year-old, and 5-year-old. And here's the trend in the house. We correct the 5-year-old about everything. So Rosie, who's 11, gets her pancakes. And then she picks them up with her hands and tears them apart so that she can eat them, because a knife and a fork is just a hassle. It doesn't really bother me. It bothers mom more than it bothers me, whatever. Then Violet, the five-year-old, gets her pancakes, and they're cut up by an adult for her, and syrup is put on them. And then she proceeds to pick them up with her hands and put them in her mouth and suck the syrup off of her fingers. And Rosie says, ha, Violet, don't do that. That's bad manners. And I said, whoa, hold on a second here. You just picked up your pancakes with your bare hands and tore them to pieces, and now you're telling your sister that she's not allowed to eat with her hands. I said, that is the definition of hypocrisy. Nobody likes a hypocrite. My kids also get preached to it sometimes. <laughs> That'll come up in the counseling sessions as well. Um, that's hypocrisy. You can't say one thing and then do another. That's what John is saying, like, please don't say that you have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness. That's a, that would be a lie. Let's not lie, let's not deceive ourselves and not practice the truth. That's not the message that Jesus gave us. Now, you might think that, okay, uh, and there's a whole lot of people who think this way. Hopefully you don't. But a lot of people in America will say this. Well, I believe in God. I believe in God. I love God. And then they proceed to live a lifestyle in which they don't prioritize God in any way. Not in the rhythms of their life, not in their annual rhythms of their life, not in the daily rhythms of their life oh, but I believe in God. Yeah, I have fellowship with God. Yes, I believe in him. But you, you look how they walk and there's, they don't prioritize God at all. And I think what John is saying is he's just saying like, listen, don't lie. If you're going to walk in darkness, then walk in darkness, but don't walk in darkness and tell the rest of us that you have fellowship with God when you don't. He's like, let's just be clear with what we're saying. I remember a conversation from years ago with a teenager. They were making wrong life choices. I met with them to try and help them in life, and, and they said, you know what, I believe in all this. I believe that God created the world. I believe that Jesus came. I believe he died and rose again. But I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm going to stop calling myself a Christian, and I'm going to stop going to church. Now, as frustrating as that conversation was in my memory, I still have respect for the individual for at least being willing to not live their life as a hypocrite and to say, this is the road I'm going to choose. I'm going to walk in darkness, and I'm not going to tell people that I have fellowship with God, because I don't. Now, you might say, well, well, I, listening to this and reading this verse, it just sounds like, well, to walk in the light all the time is impossible. Like it requires a level of perfectionism that I just can't sustain. And I'm gonna leave here today and I'm not gonna be able to sustain a walk in the light. I'm gonna sin, I'm gonna choose the path of selfishness or pride or whatever it is that sin that, that besets me, and it's just not it's impossible. And some people, some Christians, interpret this verse and they say, you know what? There are like levels of Christian, right? There are levels. There's a Christians that walk in the light. And those are the ones who are walking in like perfection. They're not sinning. And then there are Christians who when they sin are now in their darkness and they're not walking in the light. Now they're walking in the darkness. But if they can live like this perfect life, then, then for a day or two they can, they can be walking in the light. I think that is the wrong interpretation of this passage. I don't think it fits with John's logic and I don't think it fits with the rest of Scripture so how do we understand this I don't think it's teaching us that we should live a life of perfection because it's just not possible nor sustainable so you're right we all sin we all make mistakes we're all going to leave here today and in one way or another we're going to slip out of the light we're going to make a mistake and sin so the issue isn't living a perfect life I think the issue can be which team are you on so let me illustrate it this way we'll use Henry now Henry loves baseball he's nine years old Um, baseball cards, baseball, everything. So he's in fall ball. He's playing baseball right now. And he uh, is on a team. He goes to practice. The team plays games. And he is officially a part of this baseball team. Now, he goes to practice. Now, he makes mistakes. Sometimes he misses the grounder. Sometimes he throws a wild pitch. Sometimes he strikes out. He makes mistakes. But the point is, he's on the team, and he's practicing the truth. He's, he's practicing and making mistakes and going back to practice and going back to the game. Now, you gotta imagine there's some other kid, right? This other kid is like, doesn't play baseball, he's not on the team, he doesn't go to practice, he doesn't go to games, but he's out there in the community telling people, no, I'm on Henry's baseball team. Well, no, you're not, that's a lie. That's a lie. You don't practice with us, you don't come to games, you're not on the team. And so that it's not true. It's not true that you're on the team. Now that kid might be a better baseball player. He might throw a faster pitch. He might catch every grounder. He might be more moral. But that's not the point. The point is he's not on the team. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and he wrote these words. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So maybe my illustration is, is not as good. Maybe it shouldn't be team. It could be, are you on... What team are you on? It could be what race are you in? What priesthood are you in? What nation are you a part of? Or what people are you a part of? But that's how it's framed up in Peter's mind is you are a part of a team. And you have been called out of darkness and into this team of marvelous light. Paul, Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So the illustration should probably be, it's not what team you're on, but what kingdom are you in? What kingdom are you in? The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? There's only two kingdoms. There's only two ways to live. And in the kingdom of light, we aren't perfect. In the kingdom of light, we make mistakes. In the kingdom of light, we sin. And we get in some real batting slumps. And our batting average goes way down, and our ERA goes way up. But we are nevertheless in the kingdom, on the team, and we are committed to practicing the truth. Now, if you've chosen to live your life in the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light, you have that freedom, don't you? God extends that free choice to us. But John's point is simply this. If you're going to just do whatever you want to do, and you're not gonna to go to practices, and you're not gonna to go to games, and you're not gonna be on the team, then don't go around telling people that you are. Don't go around telling people you have fellowship with the coach when you never are at a practice, and you're never at a game, and you're just making all your own decisions, living your life however you want to. Live that life if that's the path you choose, but let's not lie to one another. Don't say, I have fellowship with God even though you walk in the dark. But verse 7 continues his logic. He says, but if we walk in the light, so if you're part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're to the word walk, and we're asking ourselves, where are you walking? Are you walking in the light, or are you walking in darkness? And we're finally able to answer the question that is the sermon title, How to Have Fellowship. How to have fellowship? Well, this verse says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. So when I opened the sermon and I said, how to have fellowship, I said, the short answer is join a group. Well, that's the short answer. And it assumes a few things that let's not assume of one another. It assumes that you've surrendered your life to God, who is the king of the kingdom of light. It assumes that, that you, are, you aren't just saying that you're in the light, but that you actually walk in the light. So let's not make assumptions. Let's make it clear how one joins the kingdom of light. So as we look to God's word to help us understand that, I'm going to summarize it for you. The good news is that, that you are in the kingdom of darkness. Everybody was. Everybody since Adam and Eve has been born into the kingdom of darkness. And by birth, as well as by choice, we have rebelled against the king and his kingdom of the kingdom of light. And so we live expelled from the kingdom of light here in the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus came down from his throne as the king of the kingdom of light, and he came into this kingdom of darkness, and he died the death that we deserve. Because the penalty for us in our rebellion against the kingdom of light is death. You cannot re enter the kingdom of light. You must die. And so Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I'll take your punishment. I'll die the death that you deserve, the punishment for your rebellion against the king and his kingdom. And once I die that death that you deserve, then you can be restored and go back into the kingdom of light and live in light. That debt has been paid, that blood has been shed. His blood has washed away your sins. So why are you still standing in the kingdom of darkness? He has walked up to your cage. He has unlocked the door, and he has sent it open. Some of us don't want to leave. Some of us like to make our own decisions. Some of us like to live how we want to live. Some of us have grown to like the darkness. But the invitation is extended to us as Jesus' arms are spread out wide on the cross, extending to you a welcome to come into the kingdom of light, to live in light and not in darkness. His blood has washed away, has cleansed us from all of our sin. Today being 9-11 marks 21 years since the towers fell. And so we remember on days like today, uh, those who we've lost. And we remember these heroic acts uh, that took place on that day. Whether it be on Flight 93 or those firefighters that ran up the building while everyone else was running down. To me, that's the most compelling stories of the day are of the firefighters running up the stairs into the fire willing to sacrifice their life to save other lives. They died so that others could live. Jesus sacrificed his life so that you could live Jesus didn't die in a fire. Jesus didn't save thousands of people. And Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man. Jesus died on a cross. And he died to save not thousands, but every human being who has ever been born in the past or will be in the future. And he can do that because he wasn't just an ordinary man, but he was God in human flesh. And through his death, he can pay the the price of all the sins of all the people in the world. Through his death, we can be saved. Have you trusted in him? That's what it's about. It's not about perfection. It's not about never taking a misstep, never missing a grounder, never falling into sin. It's about our identity as children of light and living in his grace. So as we wrap things up, you, you may have heard the wrong things. You may have said the wrong things. You may have taken missteps. But our hope for you this morning is that even today could be a step into the kingdom of his light. So we want you to hear this. Hear this, God is light. And he wants to shine his light into your life. He is truth. We want you to surrender to that truth. We want you to to say this. We want you to say, I need you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your blood to wash away my sins. And then we want you to commit to practicing the truth. We know you're going to make mistakes. We just want you to come to practice. We want you to walk with us. Walk here in fellowship. There's maybe three or four hundred of us all together, and we're committed to walking together in the light. Fellowship with one another. There is sweet fellowship that we can have with one another if we are um, in Christ, if we are in his kingdom together. There's a sweet, intimate fellowship. We can be friends We can share a lot in life, but the way Scripture describes it is that there is a level of fellowship that is available to you here in this kingdom of light that is sweeter and deeper and more intimate than anything else the world can provide, and it is extended to you. But you must first receive His grace, respond in a life of gratitude and worship, and then connect in community. The church isn't a social club And we don't lead with come here and make friends. We lead with you have a great need and Jesus Christ can meet that great need that you have. And once you experience his grace, oh, are you going to find some fellowship here with other people who have found what they most desperately need as well? People are in desperate need for community, ladies and gentlemen. It may not seem so as you see their social media profiles and they have thousands of friends or you see them out in public talking on the phone in public in front of everybody and you might think, oh, well, people don't seem lonely, but they are. All kinds of statistics we can share about how lonely the people are all around us. Church attendance is on decline. It used to be decades ago that people would find community at church, but that's on the decline. It's not just church. Social clubs are on a decline. This was interesting to me. Back in the 70s, two-thirds of Americans attended some kind of a club, whether that's a Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the PTA, or just bowling club on Friday night. But in the 1990s, only 60% or no, only two-thirds have ever attended such a meeting, and that was in the 90s. Certainly it's lower now. They even somehow track... The number of picnics we go to, I don't know how they get this information, probably you filled out a survey, the number of picnics per capita dropped by 60% from 1975 to 1999. We aren't making friends at church, we aren't making friends at the Lions Club, and we aren't even going on picnics anymore. The people around you are in desperate need for community not to mention how we have changed our lives and just stared at our screens. We're desperate for community, and there's lots of great ways in our culture that people can connect in community, and those are good things. But the church is not a social club. The church is a space where people can hear the good news and respond, and once they do, there is sweet fellowship and sweet community here that can meet them and meet them in their deepest need. we well, I hope that you have found such things here. We want to help you find that if you haven't yet.